The Expats is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Find out more at albertapodcastnetwork.com and stick around to hear about today's sponsor, the Edmonton Community Foundation. You should also know that the series finale of The Expats starts with a two-part episode, the first of which comes out on March 26th. It's been an amazing three years of hearing stories about Canadians living abroad, but it's time for me to focus my energy on other projects. To those of you who've listened, you have my heartfelt thanks. To those of you who I've interviewed, thank you so much for sharing your stories. If you're sad, happy, introspective, or just want to reach out and tell me about your listening experience with the expats, please email info at expatspodcast.ca. Hit me up on Twitter at expatspodcast or at bingofuel. That's my personal account or leave a comment on our Facebook page. Bordering Saudi Arabia and Oman, nestled on the coast of the Red Sea, the Gulf of Aden, and the Arabian Sea is Yemen, a country that's seen settlements of people in its modern borders since the 11th century BC. It has had a dramatic history dotted with wars and revolutions, and the present isn't much different. Right now, Yemen is a country embroiled in a war, the result of the aftermath of the Arab Spring. Join me as we journey back to 2011 and chat with a Canadian who fell in love with a city and its people in Sana'a, Yemen, on the expats. Welcome to the Expats. I'm your host, Adam Rosenhart, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Carl Conradi has explored the world, typically living his globetrotting life in three and four month stints out of a backpack. But when he visited Sana'a, Yemen's capital, he knew he'd be back for a longer stay. I still haven't found a way to sort of justify or articulate this without feeling totally self conscious, but I'm on my third master's oh, right now. Oh my God! Yeah, and it's um, hopefully going to be a prelude to a doctorate in clinical psychology. So I've got even more coming. <laughs> Jeez, um, tell me about the uh, the other two, <laughs> or all three of them. Oh yeah, no. So I, I my my first one was um, interestingly enough at King's College London, which is where I'm studying once again right now um, in their war studies department. It was um, an MA in conflict security and development. Um, and I did that back in 2009. Um, and then more recently, I did a one-year MBA at a school called INSEAD. And that was in 2015, 2016. Man, you, you've got the, some people get the travel bug. You've got the learning bug. <laughs> well, all of these are like international programs as well. So I'm combining the two, traveling and studying. All so, right. That's awesome. And and you've been to a couple of places, I gather. I have. Yeah. I, you know, like I, um, you know, when I was, when I was listening to some of the other um, podcasts that you've done um, or episodes that you've done, um, I, I think I am a little bit different than some of the other folks that you've interviewed in so far as you know, the longest stint that I've done in any one country has been, um, was Yemen for a year. Um, and aside from that, it's been sort of living out of a backpack three months or four months here, three months or four months there. So, um, yeah, there's 
been quite a bit of moving around. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about Yemen because it's not it's not a place that uh, that I, I think, first of all, we hear an awful lot about in the news unless something terrible is happening. And yeah. I've never spoken to any Canadians who've lived there. So what is it that brought you to Yemen in the first place? So way back in 2008, um, I was participating in this conflict management fellowship program um, run by an organization called Insight Collaborative based in Boston. And um, the nature of the program was such that um, over the course of a year, I was obliged to design three international placements for myself where I would impart mediation and negotiation training to different stakeholders um, that I'd established relationships with. And um, I just finished up a placement in Somalia and was looking to unwind and sort of go on a bit of an exotic adventure um, or vacation. And so I ended up in Yemen uh, for a week and a half and I fell totally in love with the country um, immediately. And so uh, when I had the opportunity to find work there um, in 2011, um, I jumped at the opportunity, moved, and didn't look back. What is it about Yemen that uh, that really captivated your your imagination and made you want to live there? I mean, it, it's a, it's a couple of things. First off, I think it, it is Sana'a, the capital, is probably the most exquisite, beautiful, historically evocative city I've ever visited. The whole place feels like sort of a gingerbread metropolis because it's a whole bunch of sort of old brick tower buildings that are accented with sort of white glazing. So it really looks like, you know, a bunch of tower gingerbread houses. <laughs> and in the evening time, all of the windows are made of alabaster. And so there are candles in all of the windows that glow like the moon as you're walking around at night. And um, and it's a very sort of traditional society. And so a lot of men are still wearing the traditional outfits, you know, the long robes with their jambayas, the, the ceremonial or daggers in their, um, in their waistbands. Yeah. And so you, you, when you're walking around, you feel just totally transported to a different time and place. Um, it's just such an incredibly beautiful city. On top of that, though, I found Yemenis to be among the most hospitable and generous people that I've ever met in any of the countries that I've traveled to. So, you know, it was just a really, as someone who is quite introverted, um, I found it really easy to make friends with local Yemenis and, you know, have really excellent conversations. And yeah, I guess it was sort of those, those two main reasons. It, it sounds, it sounds absolutely romantic. Um, just the the look and feel of the place. Let, let's talk a little bit more about the Yemeni people. You said they're very welcoming. They're, they're, they're very kind, it sounds like. How do they regard foreign people and, and how do they regard Canadians? So I, I wouldn't say that they have, at least in my experience, any specific impressions regarding Canadians um, as distinct from, you know, Americans or other Europeans. They just generally are incredibly hospitable people. I mean, I, I've, I've found generally the Middle East, the, the, the sort of culture of hospitality and, and generosity, particularly um, in regards to visitors and travelers, it's, it's quite impressive. But um, Yemenis, even within the Middle East, are recognized to take that to, to an extreme. They really, really are just incredible. 
What about the area around Yemen? I mean, it's sort of, it's a coastal country, is it not? Yeah, the country, the country's, it's incredibly complex. So the the time, I was there in 2011, um, and that was when the Arab Spring was sort of kicking off. And over the course of that year, the political geography of the country changed quite dramatically and brought to the fore a lot of, I guess, simmering regional tensions. And so over the past many decades, the main division in Yemen has been sort of north versus south. The north, which during the Cold War was more affiliated and associated with the west and sort of democratic forces and the south, which was more associated with sort of socialist forces. It's it's an Arabic country. Is it an Islamic country? It is, yeah. So it's it's got a really long and incredible history of not not only Islamic culture. It is predominantly Islamic. But um, what what I found quite interesting while I was there was um, there are a whole bunch of villages around Sana'a that you can go and visit that actually bear marks of an old um, Jewish culture as well. Oh, really? Uh, so yeah, it's over the years you know, played host to all three Abrahamic traditions, but no, it is, it is predominantly Muslim. Yeah. I, I feel like the way that ca- Canadians get shown Muslim countries is almost a, an exaggeration. So to, to what degree are they, are they, are the Yemeni people generally speaking, extremely religious? Do they, do they do prayer throughout the day, for example? I mean, speaking, in regards to the friends that I'd made and I guess the people in my my community, they were devout by Western standards, but not necessarily any more devout than any of the other sort of Arab or Islamic countries that I'd lived in. Um, you know, I've spent some time in Egypt, in Lebanon, and the majority of folks that I would hang around um, wouldn't pray five times a day, but would you know, um, participate in the Ramadan fast. You know, it's it's complicated and it's very it's highly individual. Each person sort of picks and chooses the ways in which they'll express their devotion, and it's difficult to sort of generalize. I guess I think on the whole, Yemen has a reputation for being you know more devout than other places in the Gulf, um, and that's probably true. But yeah, my my own experience is that people's relationship with religion was quite varied. Well, and, and doesn't that say it all about the way that that Islamic uh, nations get covered in in Western media? It's yeah, you can't sure. just generalize across a whole group of people, and yet we do yeah. it all the time. Yeah, totally for sure. Yeah. Now, so it's it's sort of borders. Uh, I'm looking at a map right now: the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. Yep. Uh, so, what's the climate like? Is in Sana where you were staying? Is it is it desert? Is it coastal? What does it feel like? So Sana for the majority of the year, I mean, it kind of feels like you are, I don't know, on the surface of Mars or living, <laughs> you know, in the middle of in the middle of the the Grand Canyon. Like it's very arid and um, dry. It's it's quite high up as well, though. So okay. you know, I, I think a lot of people would associate the Gulf with just intense, searing, twenty four seven heat, and that's definitely not the case. I the whole time that I was there, I think temperatures hovered around, I don't know, 24 or 25 degrees Celsius pretty much the whole year. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. And, you know, blue skies, um, you know, there is rain for, you know, a couple months every year. But by and large, yeah, it's just dry, sunny and, you know, very comfortable. 
So a little bit different than Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yes. (laughs) We are going to take just a quick break so I can tell you about our show sponsor today, Edmonton Community Foundation. Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF, has spent years building strong relationships with donors, charities, volunteers, and community leaders. These relationships help them identify trends and priority needs in the city of Edmonton, where this very podcast is recorded. They also help the foundation provide the right resources to the right people, projects, and places. Whether you're looking for a student grant funding for your charity's latest project, or a trusted place to donate your hard-earned money, ECF has what you need. After all, connecting people is what they do best. Find out more about the grants at ecfoundation.org slash grants. That's ecfoundation.org slash grants. And now, on with the show. Um, Tell me a little bit about uh, the cuisine there. I'm always very curious to know to what degree is it different from what's available to us here in Canada? It's 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 nothing to write home about. <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, I mean, I, I I I'm pretty laid back when it comes to you know food abroad, and I'm not very picky or anything. But I mean, there there were a couple of egg dishes that I was quite fond of, like scrambled eggs with different sort of spices and whatnot. There's a stew, if I remember cor- uh, correctly, called fasha or maybe maybe fasha yeah fasha that's that's quite famous in in sana you know flatbread rashouche yeah nothing nothing sort of nothing particularly stand out the one thing and i i don't know if this is necessarily cuisine or whether it sort of yeah it constitutes cuisine but the one thing that really sets yemen apart from its neighbors is the consumption of something called pat, which is a naturally occurring amphetamine, a sort of leafy plant that, you know, a huge proportion of predominantly the male population in Yemen will chew every single day. Really? Um, yeah. And, and so it's, it's, uh, it's a really, really significant and I- iconic part of Yemeni culture. Okay. And a very controversial one as well for a couple of reasons because, um, you know, the consumption of pot can be quite expensive and, you know, th- there is the belief that there, there are certain um, addictive qualities to pot. So you've got, you know, a huge proportion of the population possibly addicted to pot and spending way too much money on it at the expense of other necessities of life. And then the other thing is that cot as a plant is, and as a, um, from an agricultural perspective is very water intensive. Oh no. Uh, yeah. So in a, in a country that is already suffering from, you know, occasional drought and extremely low water tables, cot just makes the situation that much worse. And I remember reading, you know, while I was there that the expectation is that Sana is going to be the first capital in the world to completely exhaust its water table and that's largely attributable to cot cultivation so it's an amphetamine it's it sounds kind of like the way that tobacco has been used in western culture i know it's not the same kind of drug but why is it only the men that that chew cot it's not just the men um that that that's a sort of a stereotype that I shouldn't encourage, I guess, despite what I just said. But it's it's consumption in public is more often than not by men. Men will chew anywhere and everywhere. 
whereas women will sort of chew um, in the privacy of their own homes with other women. And it's more of a taboo, I think, to discuss and admit to the consumption of cat amongst women. So uh, one of the interesting conversations about, I always find with folks who visited Middle Eastern countries, is the sort of gender divide. Is it is it traditional by our standards that men, of course, do being the sort of breadwinners and, and women being the, the home homemakers or is it, is it different in Yemen? Yeah, no, it's 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 a very very segregated society when it as far as gender is concerned. I think like statistics show that it's it's one of the most segregated countries in the world. But again, my my own personal experience didn't necessarily reflect that because when I first arrived, I was interning at a national newspaper, the the Yemen Times, sort of the largest English language newspaper in the country. And a good half of the journalists there were young Yemeni women, and they were just extraordinary. And the editor afforded them, you know, tremendous power to go out and pitch their own stories and do their own research. And they were very much sort of left to their own devices and were doing really, really incredible work. So that was my my initial experience. And then later on, when I started working with the United Nations, the World Food Program, again, a significant proportion of the local staff were local Yemeni women. So um, my own experience within the country wasn't necessarily reflective of how segregated it actually is. I, I worked with quite a few Yemeni women. And I suspected it's a generational change based on, you know, things that have happened in other Middle Eastern countries and even in the Western world that women are are rising to prominence because they're starting to take control of their lives. Do you think that's part of it or do you have enough information to to reach a conclusion on that? I would imagine that that's, you know, a, sig- a significant factor. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think the other thing to bear in mind is that my experiences were restricted to Sana itself, like the, the capital. Um, and so there might be a really significant urban rural divide in terms of the way that women are treated. In fact, I would, I would, I would wager money that that that's absolutely the case. Yeah. So having having been there and having kind of sorry having fallen in love with the place and lived there for a year, is it somewhere that you want to go back to and spend more time? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's 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 really difficult to see where the country's gone since I left. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I was there in 2011 during the Arab Spring, where you know tremendous change was occurring and uh, there was you know a huge amount of optimism in the air. I mean, it, it was positively electric walking around Sana'a and, you know, speaking with other young Yemenis who were really feeling that, you know, something big was about to happen. And then to have left the country and now, you know, several years on to see it embroiled in the conflict that's currently going on is quite disillusioning for me as someone who used to live there. I can only imagine how disillusioning it is for, you know, the other young Yemenis who were who were my friends back there. So it's 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 not necessarily a great time to be heading back there for work or for tourism. But yeah, at some point, I would love to go back and actually see more of the country because, uh, again, I, I, I think that it's easily one of the most beautiful in the world. That's amazing. Yeah. One last question, I guess, about, about Yemen specifically. Was there a significant language barrier there or were you able to get by with just English? Um, so the thing that actually had motivated me 
to return to Yemen, or not not motivated me, but that that it allowed me to return to Yemen back in 2011 was um, I had signed up for Arabic language classes. So I, I didn't have a job lined up once I'd arrived. I was just taking language classes. And while I was there, I then arranged to do some interning at the, the newspaper and then the UN job happened. But all of that was underpinned by my original purpose for being there, which was was studying Arabic. And having a, the, the rudiments definitely helped a lot, you know, being able to speak enough to order food, direct a taxi, et cetera, et cetera. But no, it, it, uh, the, the, the language barrier is quite significant. So if you, if you don't speak a little bit of Arabic, it can be tough. What about uh, advice for Canadians who are looking to experience Yemen, either, you know, maybe just as a traveler for a couple of weeks or a month, or an expat experience like the one you had, other than learn the language? Is there anything that you wish you'd done differently? So specific to Yemen, unfortunately, I would not advise that any Canadians visit the country anytime soon. Yeah. Um, the the war that's going on between the uh, Houthi government and the the, the Saudis is um, uh, it continues to rage, and you know there there are aerial bombardments happening in Sanaa on a you know, relatively regular basis. So it's just far too unpredictable and violent at the moment. I think to merit um, advising any kind of tourism. Yeah. Um, but again, hopefully that'll change someday. As for living and working abroad in general, I think I think something that I wish that I had known when I was younger, because yeah, I'm you know moved around quite a bit, is it's it's incredibly important to be very diligent right at the outset with respect to building routines um, and sort of really establishing uh, a sense of normalcy for oneself. Okay, and that's something that I've always found quite difficult is because. The nature of my work was such that I, you know, oftentimes wouldn't be living in a country for longer than three or four months before moving on to my next posting or my next consulting gig. It became all too easy for me to treat the experience as a tourist would treat the experience mm. rather than really digging my claws in and, you know, committing myself to a bit of a daily routine as if I were, you know, actually living in a place. And I think in order to ensure the sustainability of the expat lifestyle, it really is important to commit to, you know, going to the gym once a week to, you know, having those standing dinner dates with locals or with, uh, with other expats and whatnot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a matter of, of committing oneself to the routines. Because if you if you do sort of treat it, uh, again, th this advice might not be as applicable to expats who are seeking, you know, two or three year long postings. But for, you know, this sort of hyper itinerant, itinerant consultants, it, it, it'll, it'll wear you out. A way of putting it is, you know, building anchor points into your life, things that you can hold on to routines, traditions, habits that you can hold on to irrespective of where you happen to be living so that in the midst of the geograph geographical chaos of your life um, at least there are certain sort of routines that you can hold on to and create the semblance of a home for yourself if you're interested in learning more about the conflict in yemen check out the show notes for some links that concludes this episode of The Expats. We're nearing the end of the show's run, so if you'd like to reach out and share your thoughts about how listening in on Canadians living abroad has affected you, email me at info at expatspodcast.ca. I've been your host, Adam Rosenhart, and I'd love to hear from you. 
You can also leave a comment on Twitter and Facebook. Just search for Expats Podcast. The Expats is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. If you're looking for a playlist where you can sample other great Alberta Podcast Network shows, visit gradio.ca. And if you happen to be a fan of terrific, listener-supported community radio in Alberta, like me, you should download the CKUA app where you'll be able to access all Alberta Podcast Network shows directly. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch up again in a couple of weeks.